I created a TV program that I presented myself and that was something that, uh, where I got to travel around the world. And that was something that I would never have been able to do had I not sort of first identified myself as a science person. And I think that the nichiness now of media and social media really allows us great opportunities if we are, are brave enough to go niche into something, right? Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Is the season finale? Are you <laughs> yeah. excited? It's so exciting. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because today we are receiving a very special guest, the presenter of Future Proof on Newstoke, mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan McRae. He's been teaching us a lot about communication in the recent Story Studio workshop that we've been attending. How did you find this workshop? I really loved that workshop. I was interested to see how it was going to work during lockdown, doing a yeah. workshop virtually. Um, but I actually got a lot from it. Um, it was really interesting. And I'm, I'm very interested in science communication. So it was great to be able to sit down and listen to it in a kind of formal capacity and think about it in depth. I think sometimes when you like chatting with people, you think of, you forget that there's an art to it and there is a science behind it as well. And there are ways to be good at it and ways to be better at it. Um, so I learned a lot from Jonathan. I can't wait to see uh, how our chat goes today. Yeah, definitely. It was really the same experience for me. I was um, very interested by all the tricks you can do to be a better communicator. I've listened quite a lot to his podcast as well, Future Proof. It's about everything that has to do with science and interviewing scientists in Ireland. So it's fascinating. Yeah, Have you I listened love to it? Yeah, I love how varied it is. Um, I listened to a few over the weekend and I love that there was just such a wide selection of things. Nothing seemed off limits. Um, so that's really exciting. I'll be interested to see how he picks his topics. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. This is Icagorama, the podcast about all things Irish geoscience with Ben Couvin and Jess Franklin. Season 2, Episode 10. Today, our guest is Jonathan McRae. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, yes. everyone. Hi. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'd like to start with maybe just a brief introduction of yourself, since you're not from iCrag, just um, maybe uh, for those who maybe don't know you. Um, yeah, a small introduction of who you are and what you do. Yes, I am a science broadcaster with News Talk and RTE. I do Future Proof on News Talk and 10 Things to Know About a TV series that uh, records over the summer and airs over uh, the autumn winter on RTE One. Uh, I am the co-founder co of SciCom, uh, a science communications conference. I'm the founder of Whip Smart Media Communications Consultancy that trains scientists, uh, among other types of individuals and organizations, on how to communicate. How did you start this radio program about science? Were you in science before? Uh, have you ever been in science? And um, how did you get interested in, in this subject? Well, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a few friends who were very um good scientists. Um, I, I went to school with Professor Aoife McLeisett from Trinity and uh, Ruth Freeman uh, is now um, uh, one of the directors of Science Foundation Ireland. So I was around people who were into science 
uh, uh, quite a bit and achieved quite well there. But I came to science quite late. I was uh, presenting a talk show on Spin 103.8, a youth radio station. And every once in a while, something amazing would happen in the world of science and, and my tail would start wagging and I would, uh, I would want to talk about it more and find in that, in that format on a youth uh, radio station um, talking you know, about uh, people's lives. It was a magazine program, so there was lots of things we talked about. I didn't get the opportunity to explore some of these amazing discoveries that I was reading about in the newspaper as, as best I could. Um, and so I, I pitched a, a show to News Talk and managed to find a sponsor and uh and and they said yes and 10 years later we're still making future proof that's amazing so yeah so what motivates what motivated you to start future proof was just curiosity of, of science um is no. that right or well yes and no so i i was doing a talk show for ostensibly 16 to 25 and i was 35 and number one i believe you, you you know, you get one shot at life and people forget this and they, and they forget there's a world out there and they don't try new things. And I felt after doing eight years of radio now, I switched roles a bit over those eight years. Um, I needed something new. Um, I felt I needed to do something else that wasn't, uh, that wasn't just general and I needed to be specific. And I had a feeling that if I was specific enough, I could probably carve more work on branch out and it was actually quite tactical as well and so it worked out really well so three years later i started whip smart a consultancy where i i catered to people who were in the sciences first first off and i've managed to pitch tv shows i i, I created a tv program that i presented myself and that was something that, uh, where i got to travel around the world <laughs> i basically just picked it picked an idea and so if i wanted to make a tv program what would it be it's like me going to my favorite places in the world and talking about the science behind them And so I pitched that and, and traveled around the world um, to, you know, Ukraine, Galapagos, um, uh, Yellowstone, Japan, China. Um, and that is something that I would never have been able to do had I not sort of first identified myself as a science person. And I think that the nichiness now of media and social media really allows us um, great opportunities if we are, are brave enough to go niche into something, right? Can I take over that show when you, where you travel? Uh, sure. I just want to know. <laughs> Too. Well, the funny thing is, it didn't get a lot of airtime. What often happens is when a new um, head comes over, they basically want to, they want to come up with their own ideas. And that's a, it's a sort of a, you know, you want a legacy. So they, you know, they put in their own ideas and this got not shelved, but put on a very little watched um, TV, uh, TV station because it, would only, it had only appeared the week before. Mm -hmm. And so I was promoting um, the TV show Uh, this amazing HD, it was shot in 4K across uh, the entire globe. Uh, we've won uh, probably nine uh, awards for that in, internationally. It's, on, it's been on Discover Canada. It's been across Europe. Um, but for some reason in the Irish market, they decided it wasn't really fit for, for, for promotion. And, uh, and I, I was on the radio promoting this TV program a week before it was due to air. And I had to tell people what the radio, what the TV station was and how they would find it if they, had, yeah. if they could tune it in. Wow. So, That's that was crazy. Hard. That was hard for, for figures, for sure. It's crazy that, like, clearly you said from all the accolades and awards, there's definitely a market there. Did I mention for... the awards? <laughs> Just small. There's clearly an appetite there for science programs and science communication. 
So why, why do you think people have this perception that um, it won't be well received or it won't be as popular as other programs? I think they don't get it. I think they, I think we've been taught science poorly uh, historically and people's memories of science is, uh, is almost embedded in their sense of uh, who they are. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they, they remember what science was and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the biggest crime, um, if you can call it that, um, of our education system when, when we were younger was the disconnect between science and, and the real world. Uh, and we really carved out scientists and the subject of science and put it apart mm -hmm. as if it belonged in a different planet. Um, and we, we said it was smart people and we, the way we wrote the narratives around Einstein and Faraday and all of these scientists, we forgot how incredible it is that we have gone from a species that roamed the land making gruff noises uh, and using, you know, rocks and, and wood to the things that we do. And, and I, I, really, I really think that if you find the right person, um, you can, like Feynman said, you know, everything is interesting once you dig deep enough. And it's so true. You know, some podcasts you listen to can be so niche, but the person behind them is so into it that it's infectious. And actually that's how science should be done. I, I was interviewing Blind Boy, um, the, the, the poet, rapper, um, podcaster, um, extremely intelligent, multifaceted, very thoughtful guy, I think. And he gets a lot of flack um, in different circles. I think he's an amazingly smart guy. Mm -hmm. um, but he said, you know, the, 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 per, the person, you know, the person who's doing it is really important. And I think with mm -hmm. science communication, um, there's a bit of a push to make everybody do that at the moment. Everybody does science communication. You know, everyone needs to talk about their own research. And I, and I don't know if that does us all the service it should. I, I wonder, should we be just finding the people who love talking about it and just equip them with everything they need mm -hmm. to, to help everybody else? Because some people just, they don't, they're not that personality. Yeah. And I, I know how to, to inject enthusiasm into something. And one of my, one of my best talents is to listen to somebody who is not interesting, but their subject is fascinating mm. and to help them make it fascinating without actually making them more interesting. So I will, I will take the sentence that they've just said, and I will say it again, but in a way that the audience realizes how amazing it is. You know, so we talk about neutron stars and how, the, you know, the, the, the incredible physics of neutron stars, right? So that um, uh, the, the tiny, the, the biggest mountain on a neutron star would be, you know, would be the weight of, uh, you know, a Mount Everest, but, but would be uh, a tiny grain of sand on the surface. That's how mm -hmm. dense a neutron star is. Uh, you know, I can have a, uh, have a, a planetary physicist tell me that and in just in a flat, monotone voice and and of course the fact itself is just so what so i just say just it back burst to them into the with, room and oh my god people. jerry you know <laughs> it's really interesting that you're saying about uh the education system there it's definitely a big bugbear of mine i completely agree with you it's far too modular and people forget that science is just a way of understanding the world just like philosophy or art or anything else 
it's just a way of understanding the world and explaining what's going on and what's happening around us. And it's become so far removed from everyday life that people are forgetting that it's accessible to everyone. You know, yeah. everybody has a right to learn about it. Everybody's capable of learning about it. Um, we just need to find maybe different avenues to make those connections. What tip would you give to people right off the bat that have trouble to get their science out there, communicate with the lay audiences when they're, when they're doing a talk? What, what, okay. what tip would you give to these people? Well, certainly consume more popular science is, is uh, an easy hack and copy what they do is probably the, the quickest thing I could think of. But for people who struggle talking about their science, I remember speaking to someone saying, what, I was, what I'm doing is boring. And I was like, you tell me what, what you're doing, I'll make it not boring. Uh, and, and the thing is, there are techniques in terms of creativity. Some of the stuff that I teach is, um, is prisming. So take your science and, and, and put it through a prism. So, uh, and think about how many people are affected by that in what, why, what ways, or how do I tell the story from different vantage points? And you kill the first three or four. So you kill your darlings, the first three or four you come up with, you get rid of them. Um, and then, you know, can you come up with a new angle on something that people haven't heard? It's a way of being creative um, is by forcing yourself to get rid of the, the, the obvious stuff. Um, another way of doing it is just being really visual is actually, can I see it? When I talk about it, can people physically see it? Um, well, I think as geoscientists, we struggle with that a lot because a lot of what we do is either under, under your feet or yeah. if the rocks are exposed, we're looking at such tiny parts of it yeah. that nobody can see them with the naked eye. So I think that's probably a perfect example. Of yeah. Okay. So, so with geosciences, you know, the, one of the things I always say is, you know, zooming in or zooming out is, is, is useful. You know, what's happening, you know, zooming out either from a physical point of view or zooming out from a time point of view or zooming in. Um, or, you know, or pasting what happens in geology onto another format. So I use this technique called brute creativity where I say, okay, look outside the window in the world, what's happening, paste geology onto that. And, you know, um, communicators do this all the time. You know, if it's the football world cup, you know, paste geology onto that. And, and I did this technique with some researchers in UCD and I said, you know, um, I said, okay, Star Wars is just out. Paste Star Wars onto your research. You have to talk about your research through the lens of Star Wars. Go. And they were uh, statisticians. And uh, one said, like, within two seconds, you know, well, what are the chances that Ray is Luke Skywalker's granddaughter? And I was like, oh, it's a perfect, you know. And then he was like, you know, you look at the number of people in the characters, look at the number of worlds and so on. And it was, you know, within seconds, they got it. And like, if you're on the radio and you use that as a bit, people go, oh, I get it. And humor is so important. And that's why popular culture is useful. Humor just keeps people listening. I remember um, Valerie Rowe, who wrote a, a book called um, Creating Powerful Radio. And I went to a, a, a seminar of hers and she was saying, you know, if you keep people laughing, if you, if you keep people smiling once every minute or so, you'll keep them entertained and engaged for the whole mm -hmm. time. So finding opportunities for humor in your science communication. Um, and the master of this is David McKeown, um, who uh, is a, a robot and a space engineer at UCD. He's just a spectacular comedian. Sure. I love I love that idea of using your creativity as well because I think we forget as scientists that we are inherently creative. We have to imagine things like we were saying that you can't see, but yeah. there's there's a creativity there that can be tapped into. And I loved that um, Psycom this year theme was creativity. 
yeah. it was my first time at the conference and I really enjoyed it. And oh, good. Some, something I'm really ex- interested in exploring is mixing science and art as a form of engagement and communication. So mm. I was delighted that that was the theme. Um, and you're the founder of SciComp, the only co-founder. 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 So it started with, um, and it's very important that because it started um, as a joint venture between myself, Alex Boyd, Claire McEvely, um, for, for she was at Food for Health Ireland. She's at Danone now, but um, uh, UCD uh, in the the guise of Alex and Claire went to SFI and said, "We want to put on a conference, and we want it to be super academic." Um, we wanted to be all about impact and research. And uh, I went to SFI, literally they walked out the door and I walked in. I said, listen, I want to do a conference. I want like a festival. I want it to be really experiential and I want it to be like Cheltenham Science Festival. And SFI went, well, we're only going to do one of these, but we kind of like a bit of both. And so they said, Jonathan, meet Alex and Claire. And Alex and Claire went, no, I'm not working with this guy. And I thought oh, I don't know if I want to work in sort of research. And, um, but we sat down, we came up with a pitch and, um, and actually, you know, my, my vision of it would have been awful. I think their vision of it would have actually probably been very good, but very academic focused and not my sort of thing. And so the two of us together pitched Psycom um, back to SFI in a sort of hybrid version and SFI went with it. And I really enjoyed it. Lion Boy was this year, um, we have Robin Inns having Alan Alda visit last year. Alex Boyd was entirely responsible for that, but it was just fantastic. But also people from all walks of life. So people from the Yes campaign and uh, BBC from Own the Room, from uh, you know business and science coming together to talk about how we communicate to the outside world and to, to other audiences. I think it's a really special event and uh, I hope it continues for many, many years. Another way people can practice their science communication is participate to the FameLab competition. Yeah. And uh, you've been at the origin of uh, bringing, it, bringing it to Ireland. Yeah. So um, tell us a bit more about how it works and um, why should people participate in FameLab? Okay. So I am a friend of FameLab. Uh, I very much see it as something I'm, I'm involved in, but the but full credit for running the whole thing goes to Liz McBain, the guys in British Council and, and all of the FameLab alumni that, that, uh, that do so much work in getting it up off the ground. A huge amount of work goes into it. Um, FameLab is a competition where scientists uh, are, are asked to spend three minutes on stage with only the props they can bring and, and wow an audience with a talk that has something to do with STEM uh, and, and give people something that, that has great content, great charisma, and great clarity. Um, and it is a difficult thing to stand up on stage for three minutes and talk in a way that is not natural. And FameLab is not, not you're, you're, you're almost doing a comedy bit, uh, and it's timed, and it's three minutes long, and it's re- remembered word for word. So you develop a lot of skills um, in doing FameLab that you just don't in other, in other circumstances. If you're given all the time in the world, you know, you don't, you don't harness that uh, ability of being able to succinctly get through an idea in, in a snackable amount of time, which is, which is useful in a 20 minute talk to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do three minutes on this. And that three minute is going to be good. It gives you the confidence to stand up on stage in front of a, a live audience and and talk about your research it also forces you to be creative because 
you see what has gone before you're in the heats and you and it just gets you thinking in a certain um, uh, frame of mind. And often the people who are, I, I just thought I'd never do this and someone forced me to do it and I did it. They end up doing really well. You know, the people who feel like it's not for them. But I would say to anyone studying STEM or working in, in STEM, that doing that sort of thing just enhances your skill set for life because you, you get an idea about timing. You get an idea about reading a room you get um, a little bit um, work on a little bit of work on writing, and and all brought together in this really nerve wracking audition. It's kind of like doing stand up. It it is, it, it, it once you do that, everything else can seem a lot easier. So tell us more about Whip Smart Media and um, you know what what you do with it, what you offer, and um, yeah, what, what, how it works. Day to day, I help people tell their stories better and and connect in a human level with. With other people and I've, I've worked with lots hundreds of scientists on this problem um, but also um, rugby coaches uh, young law students um, CEOs of pharmaceutical companies uh, global affairs teams so I've worked with all sorts of people um, and I really enjoy I really enjoy hearing about people's lives and helping them understand how stories how stories work and how how we talk about ourselves right we we spend every single day um, trying to get what we want out of life, you know, seven to 14,000 words we say every single day. The linguistic interpretation of, of um, speech is actually, it's a, it's a persuasion tool. So when we open our mouth, we're trying to persuade people. So we're trying to get stuff out of life our whole lives by speaking to people. And yet we hardly ever stop and think, how do I sound to other people? How, how am I perceived? Am I, am I talking to this person at the right time? Should I have scheduled a meeting at 5 p.m. on a Friday? Anyway, so. All right. And So how did you decide to start this business, actually? So Whip Smart Media came from me trying something. And I think my, my biggest advice to people who say, well, there's no jobs in science communication is make your own job. And actually, uh, I, I, can't, I come from a position of enormous privilege. I, I'm very well aware of that. Um, uh, both, you know, I was lucky not to have to worry about where money came from. And, you know, when I decided to set up WhipSmart, I had a, I had a job. Um, I had an education. I was privileged to have that. Like, you know, there were lots of things that made it easy for me, perhaps, um, to, to say, oh, I'll just set up my own company and, and it'll work. But um, I will say this, in the age of the internet, the starting point has moved back miles, in my opinion. And you know, looking at how young people consume the media, uh, the opportunities that YouTube offers. Um, in th like, you look at really successful YouTube stars, it's not that they're super geniuses. <laughs> it's not that they're um, amazingly talented necessarily. It's that they kept doing that show every single day. And they improved. And like David Beckham, his, you know, David Beckham always said he never had the skill of, of, of other kids his age. It's just at eight o'clock at night, he was the one kicking the ball against the wall and everyone else had gone home to watch TV. Just continuing to do something, no matter how embarrassed you are at your voice, no matter how, how poor you think what you're doing is. Like there's so many times I've, I've found myself in front of a camera going, I'm so embarrassed to be presenting this program. I'm so bad at this job. And yet just I'm here now. I've got to go through it to the end. And in the end, it works out okay. But you also have to be willing to, to accept that sometimes it's going to be dreadful and actively, objectively, everyone else thinks it's dreadful too. But you keep doing it and something will come. So I started with WhipSmart 
I worked hard at developing some ideas and put them into a, um, a presentation and then started to a pitch to SFI who needed people. And I said, look, I do this radio program. I know what I'm talking about. I, you know, I, I, uh, I've been a journalist, so I know what journalists are looking for. Um, and so they gave me, um, I worked with another company in the beginning, uh, training SFI PIs all around the country. Um, and I was part of their team because I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. And I think maybe SFI fairly said, Jonathan on his own will screw this up. <laughs> so I worked with another company who had uh, much bigger pockets and resources. And then, and then I, um, and then I started find, trying to find clients. And I, you know, one thing I don't do at Whipsamind is I don't go out looking for people. Um, and I'm really lucky in that way. I, I managed to build a company, um, and obviously the profile from Futureproof helps, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not a large part of it. But I don't pick up the phone and look for business. Um, I rarely advertise. I rarely do any marketing. It's usually I do some work for somebody. They say that was really good. And they remember, and then someone else asks them, Hey, do you know somebody who does something? And, and so if you look at, you know, if you Google um, communications companies or you know, media training, you'll see 50 companies and I'm not there. And yet I, I'm, I, I consider my the company very successful because i make a very good living out of it and i work with ceos of large companies and uh, you know like there's no it's not like i'm i feel like the clients i get aren't of a you know aren't, aren't of a certain quality because i'm not pitching myself i i feel um the company is small work where we don't we don't market ourselves but we work off client satisfaction and, and any work that we do, if people aren't happy, they don't pay. So um, I actually have a last question for you. What advice would you give to people who want to start their own business, but don't know where to start? Uh, what's the best advice you could give them? Um, so I am not a great business person. I do not have a business plan. That's the point. I don't know how much money is in my bank. I don't know how much money I'm getting this year. I don't know what my expenses are. It's the God's honest truth. I am really bad. So what I would say is remove risk in the beginning. There are so many free tools. There's so many ways we can create or we can, we, we can start something without putting money on the table. Um, and that's very, I, I was very risk averse. I didn't want to, you know, open a new premises and say, here's Whip Smart Media and then wait for the clients to come. Um, I wanted to start going to businesses' premises and have my, my office be my website. And so for me, um, I, want, I, I thought it was really important for people to see a website that matches what they, what they, what they expect. If you have your own business, being able to design your own assets is really useful. Canva is a tool I use all the time. But but I hired a guy called John Kerwin to do some design for me. And actually just a good designer is pretty cheap to get going and have a feeling like once you've built a logo and you've got a name and you have a website, you see, everything else is sort of, you know, I feel like everything else is sort of starts in place. That is not what they will tell you when you do your, your business degree. And it's a terrible approach, I'm sure, to business. You know, what you should do is supposedly market research and see if people want what it is that you're trying to sell. I just enjoyed doing what I was doing and figured if I did it enough, people would pay me for it. One, one, one thing I would say um, that I, I heard from my wife who's listening to David McWilliams podcast, and it's a really good point, 
is that if you don't earn enough money in your 20s, you won't know how to ask for the right amount of money in your 30s. And so you would be surprised what people will pay if you can, can deliver what they want. Um, and I'm always surprised what people will pay uh, because I, don't, I, I can't see myself objectively. But sometimes when someone introduces me, I go, okay, well, that's actually not a bad CV when I think it, like I've actually done a few things, you know? But, um, but every, no one ever thinks they're good. And like that imposter syndrome has been well-documented. I fully have that. I always think I'm terrible at whatever it is I'm doing and I don't deserve to be where I am. Um, even though that doesn't come out in my voice anymore. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I project a lot of confidence, um, but certainly I, I, I always try and do things that scare me. And in those moments, I'm always going, I shouldn't be here. Um, but I, I think uh, a great piece of advice is ask for money. And, and be comfortable with asking for money. And scientists are terrible at this. Anytime anyone picks up the phone, ask them for money. How much mm. am I going to get paid? And so what's the fee for that? And so how, how should I send my invoice to you? And what should that be? And of course, you know, that's the first step. The second step is you never let them tell you what the price is. You tell them what the price is. I would say build a website, get a logo, have a business name, have an idea, put the work into creating something, and then be okay to charge you know, and figure out what you have that other people haven't. Um, and, 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 and really always ask for more than you think you're worth. Because you'd be surprised how people go, oh, like a good few times, some of the biggest work I've done, I pitched something and the client has said something that has made me know I've charged half of what I should have charged. And that's made my eyes pop, you know. So always ask for more than you think you're worth. It's definitely good advice for um, PhD students. <laughs> PhD students, they have this amazing specialty. They have this incredible knowledge. Like if you're a PhD student, add a zero to what you're asking for because and they're you have kings an and queens of imposter syndrome also. So it's perfect. Yeah, we're just Lethal expecting people to not give money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do everything yeah. for free. Yeah, because what is a lifetime dedicated to figuring out a particular thing and knowing really well as a, and a single subject worth? It's mm -hmm. worth its weight in gold, mm -hmm. you know? You just need to find who needs that. Um, you know, and obviously a lot of people, PhD graduates go to, you know, industry or whatever, but, you know, figuring out how other people work and tailoring what it is that you know, formatting it in the way they want it, putting the work into that is really useful. That's good advice. Yeah, thank you very much. Sure. Um, before we leave you, um, how can people find you on social media? or on the internet in general? Um, I mean, if you Google Jonathan McRae, I'm fairly easy to find. You can email us science at newstalk.com if you have something for, for Future Proof. Um, I'm at Whip Smart Media. You Google that, you'll find that fairly easily. I, I'm not hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else you would like to say before the end of the podcast? Thanks very much for, for doing this. Uh, uh, it's great to see, you know, scientists um, doing this sort of thing. I feel like there are so many podcasts out there um, that uh that could be done all it takes is someone to start doing it and uh, learn it and that, it's great to see you guys do uh, do this you should you know listen back to yourself critique yourself think about how, how could i do that but if you do that every time you know it's great to, mm -hmm. it's great to see that they're doing but keep at it and keep working it's great thank you well, yeah, it's well, nice being a guest thank you it's, it's rare for me to be a guest uh, on someone else's program i've enjoyed it you're welcome well thank you
All right. So that's the end of Acragorama season two. I hope you all enjoyed it. And um, normally we're preparing season three, um, not right now, but soon. So uh, stay tuned and uh, keep looking at the social media, Acragorama on Twitter and Instagram. And um, also leave us a review on iTunes. Well, not iTunes anymore, but like Apple Podcasts. And um, and yeah, and as soon as the new Acragorama are coming, we'll let you know. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Ben. <laughs>